Hey, this is Angelica, and you're listening to Con Confianza. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. We are almost at the end of season two of Con Confianza. Over the course of the last several episodes, we've been exploring the beloved paradigms. What does it mean that we are the bride of Christ? What does it mean that we are the child of God? What does it mean that we are the friend of God? I hope you've enjoyed those interviews. Today, we have something special for you. We're not drilling down into one of those paradigms in particular. Instead, we're exploring the journey of learning about these paradigms. We're exploring what it looks like to to actually go on this journey yourself, because that's what we would like for you to do. If you're a student listening to this, we want this for you. If you're a faculty person, staff worker, pastor, if you're listening to these episodes and wondering what would it look like for me to go on this journey, well, we have a special guest here who can guide you along the way. She is on staff with InterVarsity at UC Davis and has been on staff for a number of years, four years? Yes. Four years. And we're so grateful that she's on the episode today. She is not positioned here as someone who's been thinking about this for 36 years. She's someone who is new to the journey and is willing to authentically have a conversation about this. Uh, Thank you so much, Angelica, for joining us on the episode today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. When uh, we lean into this on Con Confianza, we like to get to know each other a little bit better. And you and I don't actually know each other hardly at all. A little bit through a conference, a little bit through social media, Tell us a little bit about where you're on staff, what you're doing on staff. I am on staff at UC Davis in Northern California, and I currently work with different students uh, who are part of different ministries. Some students are part of our Philippinex ministry, our Black campus ministry, and our multi-ethnic ministry. Okay. And now you're not from Davis, are you? No, um, I'm not originally from Davis. I moved up here almost nine years ago now for college from Southern California. Okay, well, like where in Southern California? So I am from the LA area. I usually say LA area because most people don't know where Lancaster is, which is where I'm from. Okay, so you moved from Lancaster to Davis, huge change. I feel like Southern California and Northern California really should be like considered different states or different countries. Like, like it, that's a huge transition. Was it a big change nine years ago? Yes, it was. So Lancaster is not your typical LA, Southern California type place. It's actually a desert and sometimes it snows. So it snowed this, this uh, Thanksgiving and also around Christmas and it gets really hot, small town, but it was so different from Davis. When I first came to Davis, I was amazed at how many trees there were here. That was just very different from Lancaster because there was, it's, it's a desert. Is that where your family lives currently? Yes, my family is still in Lancaster. I am the middle child. Um, I have four siblings, two older siblings. The oldest is our brother. And the rest of us are all women. And so two younger sisters. My parents are both from Mexico, 
They immigrated here when they were pretty young from Tepic, Nayarit, which is on the coast of Mexico. So it's a big seafood place. So we all love seafood. Yeah, we, ha- we come from a big family, many cousins. I have two nieces that I love. Both recently had birthdays in December and January. And they're just so fun, so energetic. I love being an aunt. I love being an older sister. I really love getting to just walk with people. Yeah. Now, and your nieces are in Davis or where, where are they now? Are they in Lancaster? Yes, they're both back down in Southern California, which makes it really hard for me to be here in Davis for so long. Uh, I tend to miss my family and uh, they were both born while I was at Davis. And so it has been hard for me to watch them grow up from far away. Yeah, I bet they love it when you come to town, though. Yes, they do. They get so sad when I leave and they tell me, don't leave. Or they tell me, like, can I come with you to UC Davis? Which is so cute. To UC Davis? Oh, yes. That's great. <laughs> that's really great. They, um, what, do they call you Tia? What do they call you? Yes, they call me Tia, uh, Tia Angelica. Um, and then I have nicknames for them as well. Uh, my niece, Alana. I have so many nicknames for her, but I call her Bieber. And Zoe, I just call her Zozo. Zozo. Nice. You know, that's something I, I don't actually know if this is a Latino thing, but, but in my family, everybody has nicknames. You know, my brother just recently got married and his nickname is Jefe. His name is Jeff, Jeffrey, but his nickname is Jefe because he was bossy when he was a kid. And, uh, we, we all have, we all have nicknames and, uh, I don't know that that's a thing in every family. I also thought it could be a Latino thing because I just feel like nicknames, they just make you feel so much closer to a person. Like it's your personal name that you get to call this person. And I just feel like in my family, I see that a lot. You know, like my my tío uh, José, like tío Pepe, um, different things like that, where everybody seems to have a nickname. So I I was like, oh, I wonder if this is a Latino thing as well. But I don't know. Well, let me ask you a question. So so we kind of shift gears a little bit, but using that as a jumping off point. What what do you, when you were a kid, what did you call God? I believe it was just God. So I grew up Catholic, but I would say it's more nominally Catholic and So I didn't really feel like I had a very personal relationship with God growing up. It was mostly, you know, I would go to mass sometimes or my mom would have me read the Bible or there were just prayers that I felt like I just knew growing up, like our father, Padre Nuestro, different things like that, where most of the times when I would think about God, it would just be God or from the prayers, which was Padre Nuestro. You know, I remember praying that in Catholic school when I was in high school, and our goal was to pray it as fast as possible. We would see how fast we could pray the Padre Nuestro, right? And, and we, we could get it pretty fast. It, it didn't feel super personal. You know, your dad, what did you call your dad? I would just call my dad, dad. So these days, when you think about your prayer life, your kind of engagement with God, Jesus, the divine being, right? You engage with that way. Like what... What sort of addresses do you use? Like, what do you call him today? Yeah. So I was recently thinking about this too. 
And recently I was thinking about the, the nicknames that I have for the Trinity. Oh, okay. And with Jesus, there's been this recent thing where he has become my truest companion. That is what I refer to him as now, nowadays. And I was realizing that I didn't yet have something for God or the Holy Spirit. And it just felt important to me to have a nickname to relate in a more personal way to them. Yeah, there's a book, a, a theology textbook. Oh man, I'm going to mess up the name, but I think it's it's Divine Compañero. Uh, and it's it's looking at uh, Pentecostal Christology. And just that that idea of Jesus as our companion on the way. As, as we journey toward God and with God, that's a, that's a wonderful, that's a, a wonderful nickname or, or framework for how Jesus is interacting with you in this season of your life. Uh, it's something I've experienced where the way that I interact with God shifts in the seasons of my life. It's not that God changes, it's that my experience of him changes as I journey with him. I definitely would have been a like God, Lord, maybe father. And I went through a season where it was Jesus, 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 you know, to the, to the point where one of my staff, you know, one of the guys who worked for me was like, you only ever pray to Jesus. Are you aware that God is also the father? I'm like, yeah, no, I, I know. I know. And you know, like, I, I just, I don't know. That's just how I'm engaging him in these days is, is, is Jesus is, is this kind of God with us. I think our names we use for God do affect our intimacy with him. Uh, there are times where, where we need to, to reverence him and use awe. And there are times where we really need to engage with him intimately and personally, things like that. Do you think people would benefit from experimenting with that, calling God by a different name? I think so. I think I've seen that also in my own life shift. Uh, There was a season where he was just Jesus. And um, I think that goes back to when I first became a Christian, because I became a Christian in college. Oh, you did? I I didn't know that. I did, yes. I became a Christian in college through the Thirsty Proxy. Could you explain a little bit about what that is? Because... Yes. So, uh, so for InterVarsity Insiders, we, we know what we mean by that. Yes. For people who aren't maybe familiar with InterVarsity, Thirsty might have a different connotation. Oh, yes. <laughs> so the Thirsty Proxy is this interactive art display that we post on college campuses. We put it up. It's, a, it's pretty big, very, visi- very visible on campus, and it helps us to engage with people on campus, students on campus, and have spiritual conversations around scripture and Jesus. And this particular one centered around John 4, the woman at the well, and her uh, coming to, to be at this well, and even Jesus asking for water. So, so you're walking across campus one day. You have a spiritual background. It sounds like your mom really wanted you to engage with your faith, uh, but it just didn't click for you. So you're walking around campus at Davis and you see a giant solo cup, bright red solo cup. And and you stopped and said, what are you, what are you guys doing? So I think my mom would really encourage us to be involved in our faith. And I just did not want to when I was younger. 
So when I came into college, I had no intention of continuing to go to church. And I was just walking on campus my first week, actually, of being in this new place, being 500 miles away from home. And uh, I think it was actually they approached me. So university uh, does a great job of approaching people and engaging them with these conversations. So they approached me and asked me if I was thirsty and they were also offering free drinks. So that also drew me in. It was a hot summer day. I wanted that free drink. And all it took was to do this survey they were doing. And they just engaged me with these different questions. I think the the questions that stood out to me the most were around what I was thirsting for. And I think what actually helped me to engage even more was that the person who was leading me through shared how she had been thirsting and just shared very personally and vulnerably. And that made me feel more connected to the person. So who was this person? Does this person have a name? Yeah, her name is Tiffany Jameson. She was a student leader. She led BCM at Davis. And yeah. I- B- at BCM is uh, InterVarsity's Black Campus Ministries. Yes. So, so, um, so Tiffany, what was the last name again? Jameson. Jameson. Does Tiffany know the impact she had on your life? She does. Every time I see her, I tell her, I, you were the first person who introduced me to Jesus. Wow. And, and how does she respond? Is, is she like, like, thanks, thanks, but it wasn't me. Does she do the humble thing? Or is she like, yes, yes, I did that. Like, like how, does, what is, how does she process that? Yes, Tiffany is great. She is a mixture. She's in between. She is so grateful for what God did. And she also always points me back to it was God who was reaching out to you. That's awesome. Well, hey, Tiffany, if you ever listen to this, uh, thank you so much. You know, there there are generations of students who have benefited from your investment in Angelica's life. And my guess is there are, there's a five-year-old and a six-year-old down in Southern California who have a, a tia who loves Jesus and is engaged with, with, with God as her true companion and your witness is part of what made that possible. That's awesome. That's really great. Yes. She may never hear this, but it exists. It's going to exist out on the interwebs, just waiting for her. Someday she may stumble across it. I love to do stuff like that. Yeah. I'll have to send it to her. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, so talk to me a little bit about, so you've been on staff with InterVarsity for four years During that time, so the journey, you know, if you're listening to this and you're not aware of what that journey is like, a lot of times there's a discernment process where you're like, okay, am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? Am I going to go get a job where I get paid 80 grand a year or am I going to get a job where I get paid 18 grand a year, right? Like there's a discernment process. Am I called to this? And then once you decide, I think I'm called to this, you go out and you, you raise support. You build a team of ministry partners to pray for you, to encourage you, to fund your ministry. We don't charge students. So you you said you got up and had an eight o'clock discipling appointment this morning. You didn't charge that student a hundred dollars to meet with you like a therapist would. You did it for free. So you raise support and then you get to campus and you jump in as a leader and 
And so that experience, what has that experience been like for your faith? It has been both very challenging for my faith, uh, but also a place where my faith has just really grown and stretched. And I think even because of my time on staff, that has led me to um, deeper intimacy with Jesus. So it doesn't do that for everybody, right? Some of us, the amount of stuff that has to be done overwhelms us. And, and I say us, me, me. There are seasons in my staff life where the amount of work that had to be done squeezed out that sense of connection with God. Why do you think that you are experiencing deeper and deeper intimacy with Jesus, even though you have tremendous amount of ministry responsibility and activity? So I do want to say that I too have experienced all of the like hardness. And I think even this year, there were points where I didn't think that I was growing closer to Jesus, um, where I also experienced a lot of the a lot of hopelessness. I think what um, has felt helpful for me in this time um, has been a couple of different things. One, having um, mentors around me to speak truth into my life. Yeah. So, so those mentors, so who are some of those mentors? What is, what does that encouragement look like for you? Yes. The, the mentors, have been um, different people in different seasons. My first supervisor and also my staff worker, her name is Peggy Enderly. And oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she just really, as a student, my last year invested in me and just really helped me to see the ways in which I was gifted in, in leadership and how part of that was because of my identity as a Latina woman. So, so she was able to really see you and to see what God was doing in you and her willingness to name that for you opened up a deeper connection with God or opened up it like encouraged you to go deeper with God. Yes. So she, in, in doing that, I think she opened up, uh, yeah, just a space for me to really reflect more on who God created me to be. I mean, that's a huge gift. It's a huge gift. Not everybody gets that gift. You know, Peggy is now working nationally with InterVarsity. She actually has a great podcast called The Art of Then. I've been catching up on episodes. They just released, they're releasing their their next season over, you know, this month when we're recording these. And, uh, you know, creating that space for people is something that's really valuable. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you're in any kind of role where you have ministry responsibility, I'd encourage you to, to do for some of the people that you minister with what Peggy did for Angelica, like creating that space, looking at them through the lens that God gives you and seeing what in this person is beloved by God. And, and naming that. And so, so she actually saw your identity as a Latina and was able to name that is something that God loves about you. And you can embrace that 
did it create a space for you to explore what it looks like for you to lead as a Latina? Yes, it did. It started that journey for me. And in entering into that journey is when I started to enter into some of those really hard times within my own staff work. Um, Because there, in the space that I was in, there wasn't many other uh, Latino leaders that I could look at. So it was a lot of exploring and at times feeling misunderstood. Yeah. And that's something, you know, for Peggy, you know, she's engaged with her own ethnic identity journey and, and is on that journey. And so she's better able to recognize that for you. And, uh, you know, that's been my experience with, with InterVarsity is that a lot of times leaders who've engaged with their own ethnic identity. So if you're white and you've learned a little bit about what it means that, that God has made you white and, and what white ethnicity looks like, if you're Latina, what that looks like, what, if you're black, what that looks like, that can help you to create space for people to engage with their ethnic identity in light of who Jesus is. And yet, even when you create that space, it can be really hard. It can just be really hard. So, Angelica, you mentioned it was hard because you didn't see a lot of other models around you. And, um, you know, I'm sorry that that was your experience. That's the experience for a lot of folks in InterVarsity. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons we have this podcast is, you know, it, it's, I'm sure there are lots of people who would love to grab coffee with you and, you know, lots of students who would love to see, okay, oh, this is a, a Latina campus minister. I, I don't have one of those in my campus. I don't have one of those in my region. Would love to just sit with her and see what that's like, but they can't do that. So the next best thing is to listen to you on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> it, it's it's not the same, but it, it is something. And, uh, you know, I hope, you know, if you're listening to this, you listen to this podcast, you get to learn from people like Angelica, uh, Natalia has been on, you're going to have three episodes from Natalia. You could go back and listen to uh, Stacy Rafferty. In InterVarsity, we are so blessed to have lots of Latina leaders. Uh, they just happen to be scattered all across the country. And um, we're raising up more and more of them every day. And um, yeah, I'm grateful that, that Peggy did that for you, created that space for you, and that you made the decision to step into it. Um, talk to me a little bit about as you're engaging with these beloved paradigms, we've talked about three of them in this series. Natalia hinted that there are more than three, but we've talked about three of them, the bridal paradigm, the child paradigm, and the friend paradigm. Uh, And Helica, is there one of those that's been particularly meaningful for you or helpful for you in this season? I think it is the child paradigm that has been most helpful for me in this season and learning to see myself And I'm sure Natalia has probably mentioned this as not just a worker for God, but a child that is beloved, beloved by God. I mean, our experiences with our families can sometimes make that a little bit more complicated because sometimes we, we are workers in our families. I don't, you know, I grew up in a house with four boys. So, um, you know, you, you had four kids in your house. I have had four kids in my house growing up. I have four kids in my house now because I have four children. And I mean, a lot of times just, you know, as a, as a parent, I remember when I was a kid, there are times where like, I just need my kid to do their work. Or as a kid, I just need to do my work and I need to not 
Natalia talks about this, about not bothering your parents. Even when we know that our parents love us, we can sometimes project that, like, don't bother God thing onto God. Is that part of what you're having to navigate in this? What, what are some facets? Let's explore that. What are some facets of I am a child of God that you're having to explore? I know that I'm so loved by my parents and they worked so hard to make sure that I could get to college. I'm the first in my family to go to college and they are a big part of that. And in many ways being uh, immigrants here and they immigrated here to actually help their families. So they didn't immigrate here to go to school. And so they didn't finish school. And so at some point I just was past what they knew in my education. And there are many things that they didn't know how to help me with. And being the middle child, I saw my older siblings and the ways in which my parents at times would struggle with, with them. And I somehow at some point decided that I wanted to be the child who they didn't have to worry about. So that meant never asking for help, doing things that I know would make them feel proud of me or pleased or not have to worry about me. So getting good grades was always something that I felt affirmation about. When I did well in school, I was affirmed. When I didn't cause trouble, I was affirmed. When I got into college, I was affirmed. So it was, it was a lot about what I did to, to get affirmation. Yeah, I just recently read um, this book called I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican-American Daughter. You ever read this book? I picked up a copy in Spanish to practice more of my Spanish. I haven't read it yet. Well, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I read it in English. I, I, I didn't feel I, I can read Spanish, but it's very, very slow for me. Um, but but in that in that book, they do talk about um, the the ways that in our family dynamics, sometimes you, you have a sibling who is the sibling no one has to worry about. And you have the sibling who is the 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 sibling who causes some trouble. And a lot of times the sibling who no one has to worry about has some secret challenges going on, anxiety, pain, depression, loneliness that they cover up through this mask of perfection. And a lot of times the sibling who has a little bit more chaos in their life also has a little bit of strength that you might miss or a little bit of kindness that you might not notice, you know, our families, you know, we, we bring all sorts of things to the table. I think that's one of the reasons why scripture uses the family as a metaphor for the community that Jesus is creating in the kingdom of God. I, I can tell that you're really proud of your parents. Like, I don't know if that comes through in the audio, but just the face that you're making when you talk about them, it, it looks like you're very proud of them and grateful for them. Yeah, I am very grateful and uh, just, I think I don't even have the words to describe how I feel about their strength and their perseverance and their character. I think my my mom is one of the kind, kindest people I know. I remember I once told her that one of my students was struggling with depression. She didn't even know who the student was, never met them. And that Thanksgiving, she was like, invite that student over for Thanksgiving. Like, we want them to come and be loved here. To and, Southern California? Yes, to Southern California. Wow. 
then she, after that, every time we would talk on the phone, which was weekly, she would ask me, how's this person doing? Wow. I was just, I'm always shocked at the capacity that she has to love people, to give of herself to people. And my dad is so hardworking. He works two jobs and has always worked uh, since, since a young age, since middle school. And he, a couple of years ago when I was a student, had a accident where it left him um, a little handicapped in one of his hands. And he still works two jobs as a mechanic, even though he is, uh, doesn't have full mobility in one hand. Wow. I mean, what a great gift to have them as your parents. As you think about what it is that you're a child of God, there's some unlearning that you have to do from your family of origin to say, okay, well, it's, it's not exactly like it was when I was growing up, but there are also some elements of God and God's nature that you can see in your parents. So your mom's capacity to love, your dad's capacity to provide and to work. You know, and God does both of those things. God accepts people who don't know him. He feeds people who don't pay any attention to him. He feeds people who are far from him. It sounds like that's what your mom was trying to do at that Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, they're five hours away, but I'll make great food. You should bring them to my house and I will feed them and they will be okay. I mean, like what a beautiful uh, illustration of the love that God has for us. You know, God is, is in some ways like a mother who wants to just welcome us into, into the home and to feed us and to make us taken care of. And, and when you look at what Jesus does in, with his body and with his blood, you know, with the communion table, this is, this is God, our parent, welcoming us into the family, sitting us at the table, treating us like sons and daughters. That's beautiful. To apply the story about your dad. So dad who works two jobs, he's working two jobs. I'm assuming to make sure that your family is taken care of. Maybe he even sends money back home to Mexico. You know, I don't know your family story, but he works really hard. When you think about God as a worker, are you also able to find God as one who loves you and has affection for you? Yeah. So that um, is something that I have been growing in. I often even now still see God as somebody who provides things for me, who, you know, if I'm having a hard time will help me out of that hard time, similar to my dad. And I think I, as I have been thinking more about this idea of the beloved and just a deeper, intimate personal relationship with God, I've been noticing the ways in which my relationship with God doesn't always mirror the relationships that I have here on earth in a way that makes it less like a relationship. Um, So an example of that is I recently was noticing that I would often always just pray and then I'd be done, but didn't make space for God to speak to me. And I was thinking about that and I was like, if I were to do that with any friend of mine, they probably wouldn't be my friend. If I never gave them time to speak, they probably would not like to be with me because I just am always talking. Well, yeah. I mean, imagine you did that to your dad. Imagine you got on the phone with your dad and you just downloaded everything about your day. You asked him to send you money and then you hung up on him. Something would be missing. 
Yes. It, it would not feel like a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is you go on this journey of, of engaging with the, the beloved paradigms to, to settle for yourself that God is a real person and that he invites us into a real relationship with him. That's great. Well, and Helica, as we wrap up, is there one thing you would advise people to do? If you could advise, like, go out and do this one thing to lean into your belovedness as a child of God, as the bride of Christ, as a friend of God. Like, here's one thing that you can do to grow your awareness of this. That is, that is a tough one. Uh, I think I, 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 do I waited it. till the end of the interview to ask you the hard question. No, I, I would do a, a combo. One, I think definitely being around people who have this kind of relationship with God or seeking them out, whether it's a book or a person you know, that was super helpful for me. I remember when I first heard Natalia speaking about the beloved paradigm, I was just amazed and shocked that somebody had this kind of relationship with God. Uh, So that is one thing is um, getting to see examples of it inspired me and actually expanded my view of what a relationship of God, a relationship with God could be like. And the second thing that I've been able to try more personally is, um, actually spending time with Jesus and asking him, Hey God, what do you want to do? And allowing him to tell me what to do. So similarly in a relationship, you would take turns suggesting things to do and you would allow the other person to suggest something to do. And that's been something that I've been trying out is asking God in my time with him, what would you like me to do? Or what would you like us to do? And sometimes that's just to sit and be with him. Oftentimes it is to just sit and be with him. Um, So that is, those are two things that I would say is uh, getting to, whether it's through this podcast, listen to uh, people who have this relationship with God, uh, who relate to God as beloved and experience being beloved, um, but also asking God, having a conversation with him and asking him, um, what would you like to do or making space for him? I think that was very transformational for me to realize is what I'm doing with God natural to a relationship. And sometimes with God relationships look different, but just noticing how in my good relationships, there were things I would be doing with my friends that I wouldn't do with God. Um, And so I, I even have spent times where I watch a show with God, like, inviting God to do all the things I would invite other people to do with me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So a couple of thoughts as we wrap up, uh, Natalia Conrivera, who um, you, you mentioned Angelica, she has these cohorts that she leads. Uh, she has one opening up in the summer. So I'm going to put a link to Natalia's email in the show notes So if you're listening to this and you'd be interested in being a part of that prayer cohort and leaning into what it looks like that God loves us and how to encounter that in your day-to-day life. I've been a part of one of those cohorts and, um, you know, would strongly encourage you to consider it. And, and please, if you're listening to this, take Angelica's advice, ask God, 
what would you like to do? I believe that he'll answer you. He'll give you guidance. Now you may wonder like, oh, I don't know. Does God really want to eat nachos? Just go with it. Just go with it, right? Um, maybe it's God. You know, maybe it's your stomach, whatever. But, but just try. Just try. I mean, what's it going to hurt? Um, and Helika, thank you so much for taking time with us on the podcast today for your wisdom, your insight, and for your willingness to share your journey. I think so often we only hear these stories when they're like 15 years ago stories. And to hear a story of someone who's engaged actively with this today, um, that's, that's really special. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Steve. And yeah, I definitely am still in, in process and just want to encourage anybody out there to, to continue, even when it's hard. And yeah, to remember that God, God is with us, even when we feel like he isn't. Amen. Amen. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up the podcast. Uh, look forward to talking with you next time. If you would like to get other episodes in Con Confianza to make the most of what God has entrusted to you, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. We have a new season that we're working on that's under development. We're going to be dropping season three in another month and a half. I'm really excited about the content that we're working on. I can't release what it is yet. We're still working on it, but uh, would love for you to subscribe so that you get access to that and all of the other resources that we're developing. And check out next week's episode, uh, the next episode in the series. Check it out. Uh, Natalia Cohn Rivera is going to be answering some questions about how do we actually engage and apply these beloved paradigms in our life and our spiritual journey. Thanks. God bless.